Today's podcast is brought to you by TheEngagedInvestor.ca, helping you find and present to joint venture partners. Get your free video training right now at EngagedInvestor.ca forward slash breakthrough. Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 35. And welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake, and here with me again is everyone's favorite, Sandy McKay. <laughs> hey, Rob. Thanks. Always great with the introductions. I wish I, one of these times I can introduce you, I think. I should be turn right. around. Next yeah. one, we'll do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm excited. We got a good guest here, uh, Martin Kuev, uh, standing by here. And uh, welcome to the show, Martin. Hey, thanks, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, Martin was actually the winner of our Durham REI free ticket giveaway that we did a couple months ago. He wrote us a really great review for the show and qualified for the for the contest. And then we drew his name. He won the tickets, and uh, I met you out there, and we had a little chat. Thought it would be a good fit for the show if you came on. So again, yeah, welcome. And uh, what did you think of the meeting? It was great. I, I haven't been to the Durham REI one, but it was great for me in terms of uh, being there. And you have the guest speakers that come on there, but most of the guest speakers are on there are just real estate investors just like you and me. So you're seeing it firsthand in terms of what they're experiencing rather than sometimes they have mortgage brokers or other people trying to come out there and uh, and put their services out there. But what, what I really get and really connect with is those that are just sharing their story and just sharing kind of what they've done and what they've done with uh, within real estate. And a lot of the times you're, you're, you're facing a lot of the same challenges. So you can really relate to the, uh, the guests that were on there and, and, and the, the couple that were on there that I saw the, the time I went there. It was almost to a T exactly what I've been experiencing in there. They're a little bit ahead of where I am and, uh, and you can just see where the path is leading you. Yeah, well, you're doing you're doing really well, too. And we're going to get into your story in just a little bit here. But first, we want to um, recommend that everyone go over to our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca, and download our free gift, The Seven Freedom Activators That You Can Trigger in Your Property, starting right now. It is a comprehensive report for you to help you and uh, help maybe some of your friends who are running into those issues where they uh, have a little bit of difficulty with some tenants or maybe it's their first time and they don't have any experience and just want a few tips and guidelines to help you get the most out of your experience, you know, make some more money. Mm -hmm. Right, Sandy? That's what it's all about, really. Treating it like a business, I guess, is, is the main point there. Um, and also want to recommend everyone goes and gives us a, a great five-star rating and review on iTunes. 
leave some comments in the in the comment section on our website and yeah interact with us because uh we're here we'd love to hear from everybody you know actually people should go over and click on our comment section for each episode of the show and just leave a comment whatever you thought about the show whatever you thought about that episode go on there and just leave us a quick quick sentence or two of what you liked or what you didn't like and let us know what's up mm-hmm. so again that's breakthrough rei.ca so sandy what have you been up to lately good question um working away as you know in the realtor business as always um i just bought something actually a week ago so i got a new purchase coming up i'm gonna be busy maybe not as busy as uh, martin's been with his rentals <laughs> but I, but i got uh one getting close to finished uh that's gonna be it's a flip and I got another one that is uh, about to start a flip actually as well, about to start in a couple of weeks. We've closed on our already. We're just getting permits and stuff in order. And then we've got uh, this new one that we just bought it closing um, in February. And it's cool. It's a legal duplex here in Hamilton. Um, it's actually got four units in it. So we're actually not 100% certain how we're going to work it yet. Uh, however, it's a nice big property. I think we got a nice deal on it. So we're going to uh, be doing that. And yeah, always working with other investors to, to buy properties and, and help them here in Hamilton. So, uh, nothing but fun and excitement with that. How do people get in touch with you, Sandy? <clears throat> Is it just info at Breakthrough REI Podcast? Yeah, that works. That works. You know, I'll, I'll maybe you can call our office directly if you want to. 905-296-6337. Um, that's the first time I'm giving that number out. So now you got now they can call. That's not my direct line. That's our office line. So um, I, I don't think I can give the cell phone yet. We're not. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, everyone who wants to reach out uh, more directly, they can do that. And um, you know, <clears throat> ask questions or whatever. We're here to help. You know, Sandy, I'm actually curious. Like you've now, this is going to be a flip as well. The uh, the one that you're closing on, whenever it is coming up. Uh, which one? The one that I, uh, we just got. Yeah. It's not going to be a flip. It's going to be oh. a hold. Oh, okay. Fix no, so, so you've Fix. decided definitively that the one you have right now is going to be a flip? Yeah. So how did you – because I know that um, you guys are not not big on the flips. No, no not really. Investors. So how did you decide that this <clears throat> one was going to be a straight fix and flip? Uh, so good, good question. Um, it really came down to – uh, us wanting to originally we were going to be legalizing it it's a duplex it was a duplex not a legally duplex but it was a duplex here in hamilton um and we were we kind of had this back flip as a backup plan um all along but we were going to go through the process of le- legalizing it and um at the end of the day the, it, it's a bit hard to explain on here, but the layout of the property, layout of the house inside, <clears throat> the numbers uh, just ended up not being really ideal, and it was going to seem to just work a little better as a straight flip, and then we'll use that money again to put into another investment. We're going to make it worth a lot more. We're going to be worth about fifty grand more as a single-family home, as we would as a duplex, just mainly based on the income that we would have brought in. If that makes any sense, no, it uh, you really know, does. Like you're you're left with smaller units that don't really work, you know, logistically, I guess, and it's unattractive to renters and whatever. Then it made more sense as a as a single family. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, well, I, I'm happy to work in a flip here and there as long as we're putting the money towards uh, another property afterwards. 
or at least another investment. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. You? I think you've been up to some cool stuff. Yeah, it's just, you know, more of the same. Um, it is pretty cool being in real estate full time now. I'm doing quite well with that. And I've got a couple of rentals going on right now for basement conversions to two units. So, and I've got another purchase lined up for the beginning of the year. So if anyone's looking for something they want a JV with me on that one, I'm looking for a JV partner. Actually, just one of them, uh, my JV partner that I had lined up just kind of pulled out tonight, as a matter of fact. But things are really moving, and, and I'm having a lot of fun, honestly. Like, couldn't ask for a better career than, than this. So mm -hmm. uh, things are going well. And my flip sold, and I did okay with that. So, yeah, things are good, man. Good. So... As we mentioned before, we've got Martin Kuev on the line with us. Uh, welcome to the show again, Martin. Thanks, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on here, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys today. Awesome. So Martin is uh, the owner and operator of MK Properties. Um, you can find him at mkproperties.ca. And he's uh, mainly a buy-and-hold investor. He started investing about a decade ago. And now really has been ramping it up in the last year or so. And uh, currently sitting at 20 units overall. Mm -hmm. um, starting to work a lot more with uh, with investor partners and you know people that are looking for better returns on their money than what they're getting currently. Uh, I, I guess claim to fame, I think, is, is, is that he bought uh, actually four properties in the span of just a couple of weeks earlier this year. Did, all, yeah. that, all that with, uh, with newborn twins, a full-time job. And I believe another 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 three year old girl, right? Yeah, yeah, just just under three. It's been uh, it's been a busy, hectic year. That sounds like crazy a lot of hectic, but uh, great, great in terms of what it what it gave to me, and also uh, and also a struggle. I'll be honest with that. Yeah, a lot of coffee that week. I I would imagine. <laughs> oh yeah, the the entire year I think. <laughs> uh, and and those properties, um, not really turnkeys, were they? There's a lot of renovations in there and and whatnot. A ton of renovations. Yeah, all of them. I I typically look for something that I can add value in. So I've uh, I, I purchased all of them that needed at least something. To uh, you know, be a cosmetic work, or some of them actually needed to be not fully gutted, but uh, quite a bit of rental work. Mm -hmm. Nice, that's impressive. I mean, it's very. <laughs> if anyone's ever anyone's listening and wondering if they should be hanging on and listening to this, I mean, I, someone that can do all that is pretty impressive. So uh, you must have some good systems and stuff in place, a good team and all that. So yeah, I'm you know, gonna learn so. a lot from you tonight, and I'll, and I'll tell you like. I thought, Sandy, I remember we talked about this a little bit a couple of months ago, and I and I kind of thought that I was just going to have all this free time. Turns out, <laughs> you work a lot more as a real estate agent than I thought that you did. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, it's all good. But I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about, Martin. It's been um, just a heck of a whirlwind with um, the Renos and and all these uh, all these other things going on. When you add rentals into the mix, you know it, it really takes it to the next level as far yeah. as as far as the time commitment goes. Oh yeah, I, I I'll actually add a caveat to uh, to Sandy's bio. You know, I've been investing in real estate for a decade now, but I'd say eight of those years I had no idea what I was doing. So it was probably over the last couple of years that I really put a business aspect behind it. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say that my full background is in real estate for over 10 years. It's probably been the last two years that I've really, uh, really, really put a lot behind it and, uh, and then made something of it. But the, before it was, uh, 
like a lot of other real estate investors, is uh, I made some good decisions up front that uh, that turned out to be good decisions, even though I knew real estate was a great investment, but I didn't really know all the nuts and bolts around it. Yeah, it is kind of easy to make money in it by accident almost sometimes, right? At the beginning, well, back then it, it really was. You, you can kind of face a little bit of a roller coaster ride, and I'm sure many did in 2009. And uh, but uh, but you're right. If you're in it for the long term, uh, you, it, most times than not, you're you're likely going to come out on top. So tell us a little bit about how you got started. What was your inspiration? Sure, sure. I've been well, I've been interested in real estate for as long as I can remember, and I think the. Uh, the background is kind of like a, a spinoff of Rich Dad Poor Dad. Is uh, my parents immigrated to Canada here? It was back in, uh, in in the late '60s, and they they had three kids. I got two uh, two older sisters, and for them it was all about putting bread on the table and uh, and feeding the family. If they had some money, they spent it on us. Alongside them, who came to Canada as well, was another family of ours, and we're all very close uh, to this day. They came, and the first thing that they did when they come to Canada is they bought a property. And they had two kids. The property really didn't have a lot of furniture in it, but they uh, they they did what they, what they could, and they knew that real estate was a good investment. And the minute they had enough money for a down payment, they bought another one. And to make a long story short, you know, my dad worked uh, all the way until retirement until 65, and they retired at 55, and they're they're living back in the Czech Republic now. They have a full apartment building sitting on a good nest egg of assets. And then making quite a good monthly uh, monthly income on top of that as well. So they were probably my inspiration in terms of uh, always knowing that hey, real estate is a good investment. And uh, and they were doing this in their spare time the entire time we were living in Canada. Uh, and it was just something that was able to build their long term wealth. So for me, I went to university. I've got a business degree. I've worked in the in the corporate world for a while. And it's kind of funny. I've I've uh, you know gone down that corporate track, but really didn't capitalize on. Uh, on what I what I knew real estate can do and what I saw real estate did for them until much much later and uh, I kind of as I said started by accident back in uh, in 2004 and, uh, and and I bought a condo first lived in it for I'd say about three or four months really realized how much it was taking out of my uh, my monthly cash flow and I rented it out so I rented it out moved in with a buddy paying a lot less per month and bought another condo that was pre-construction so I now had two condos going on and then I met a girl who is uh, is now my wife, uh, very supportive wife after everything I've gone through this year. And uh, then we bought our, our own home. So I sold both condos. One was, I think, the minute we took possession of it, we sold it. So made 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 some good good decisions without knowing I was making good decisions. Then we bought our own home. We lived in it for a couple of years. And what we did is basically just make a second suite out of it and still have that to this day as uh, as a property. We live up the street from it, bought a larger home and and live in that and also i have two other older sisters i was mentioning we also bought between the three of us bought one property that one of my sisters lives in so we did all that in the span of about three years and then i just sat on it and i really didn't do anything for i'd say about seven years and just sat on those properties uh until i went to a, a weekend seminar it was just one of those weekend seminars that you're sitting in the weekend and you know at that point i bought a few properties i sold a few properties i thought you know i'm i i i know a bit about real estate and wow, what what a kick in the butt that was to realize how much of an amateur I actually was within real estate. And it just it, it put that drive in me to to be a sponge as much as I could and just learn. And I'd say over the last couple of years is getting a coach, getting a mentor, going to you know, Durham REI is one of them. By the way, thanks for those uh, for those tickets. And as many other meetups as I could and talking to as many other real estate investors as I could, I 
uh, a lot of your other uh, your your other uh, guests that you had on the podcast. I've reached out to them and said, "Hey, would you mind me picking your brain uh, when I was first starting out and just uh, grabbing coffee with you?" So a lot of uh, a lot of it was just that and just going out and learning and getting as much as I can done. And then uh, then what I did is is again through the through through luck probably. But uh, we were very fortunate in where we live with uh, our first house that is now a rental and our current house. Appreciation was doing great. So what we did is we been been ha- been being a sponge, I guess, for the course of two years, put all into action. And uh, I'm, gr- I'm very fortunate for the corporate background that I have and putting a lot of disciplines in place. So I went out and uh, I wouldn't say went on a spending spree, but went on a calculated spending spree in terms of uh, buying property. So over the course of six months, I bought uh, six properties, four of those in, in the span of two weeks that were in, uh, in bidding wars, but, uh, and, and a couple of those with other JV partners as well. So uh, all of that within the span of two years, just trying to make it work and then to launch the website. And, and it's still quite new. You know, it's something that uh, all came to be this summer. And, uh, you know, the four properties I bought back in, uh, I think it was April or May, and uh, just finishing up renovations on on the last couple of them now, so it's been a summer worth worth of uh, renovations, and uh, it'll be great to have a lot of the cash flow coming in now rather than uh, than putting up the money for the renovations. Okay, so I have a couple of questions for you based on all of that stuff. Now I'm going to roll it way back to the beginning, and then I've got another. Well, I'm sure it'll come up later. So let's roll it back to the beginning first. So it sounds to me like when you first started, you were on a bit of a buying rampage right to begin with. And then all of a sudden you just said, okay, I'm good here with whatever it is, two or three condos and then the other place. Um, what made you sort of press pause at that point instead of thing um, made you go out and take action at first? And then it sounds like you just sort of sat on it for a while. So what, what happened there? I, I think what made me take action is I uh, what I didn't say in there is I, I worked in the corporate world for a few years. Then I went to Australia for a couple of years and I went to Australia and Europe, actually. I came back and most of my friends had mortgages. Uh, they had uh, kids that were starting to pop out and I, I basically had memories. So I knew I had to start. And prior to going to Australia, I wanted to buy a student house, but then I didn't want to. I didn't have any. Uh, any supports at that time. I wasn't tied down. In, in, not, not that marriage is anything being tied down, but I didn't have anything that I needed to to, to keep me in here in Canada. So I got to, to live a different culture. So I came back. That was a driving force to buy the initial two condos. And I did that. Then uh, then we got married and bought our first house. We uh, actually have always been a, sort of an entrepreneur. So I came back from Australia and we, uh, we I started another business on the side. And my wife also started another uh, another franchise, which is in-home care for seniors. My wife is actually a neonatal intensive care nurse. And uh, so we did that as well. And that kind of halted it for a bit. It was always in the back of my mind. Of, I, I was probably, like any other investor at the beginning, addicted to MLS and got halted by financing as well. Is is You know, you only have a certain amount. Didn't really realize how much I can take out of the equity of my personal home. Uh, and during that entire time that we were uh, kind of, not even learning the ropes, but sitting on everything, we were very fortunate that our house was was appreciating in value. So uh, I think I was always interested in it, but I really I didn't know how to how to take action at that point. And, and I think after the the weekend course, really realizing that hey, I had a pretty good nest egg as it as it was, but even if I didn't have that, uh, after that seminar and going out and taking action to uh, to just being a sponge, I learned that hey, there's a lot of options out there for me. And who is the weekend course with? Uh, it was actually the guys from Flip This House in the U.S. It was Fortune Builders, and oh, uh, you know they're they're like any of those that are trying to sell you something. 
Sure. And, uh, and, and, and I respect that. You know, I'd, I'd say anybody that goes out and you're going to pay a, a ton of money to go out, but you're probably going to make that money back. In the end, I didn't go through with it. I, uh, I, I, I basically was a sponge and, and got to, it was, it was US based. So I wanted something that was Canadian based. So I did get a coach. I did get a mentor up here and, uh, shattered a few, got into a few masterminds and, and learned that way and really realized that there was a lot that I can learn from investors up here rather than taking a, a structured course that they gave. But I'd say within that two week, two weekend or two day time frame that weekend, there was so much I learned that I, I really realized, wow, I'm, I'm on the tip of the iceberg here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're a buy and hold investor, and the first few properties you bought were condos, and now mm-hmm. you've got some single families and duplexes, I think. But yeah. a better question than what types of properties do you invest in is how do you decide if it's a deal or not a deal? Because it sounds like you don't discriminate between um, what type of property you invest in. It's just how do you decide if it's a good deal or not? I didn't discriminate at the beginning. Now I heavily discriminate. <laughs> so I'd say at the beginning, yeah, I just I wanted to buy and get in the market. And at that time, there was a condo craze. And uh, and I did buy in and luckily I did quite well. Uh, condos are not my, my first choice right now, just mainly because of the uh, the maintenance fees. They're being bought up by investors and and. Uh, for lack of a better term, I'm getting a much better uh, rate of return by single family homes that I can add value to and I have much more control over. So what I typically do is buy single family homes. I have one student house as well that I can I can do something to. I can add value in terms of renovations. I can add another suite to or I can do something that's going to increase my cash flow. Uh, to answer your second question, more on the how do I know it's a good deal? And this is where it comes back to, you know, you guys asked what systems you have in place. And before I bought my first property after that, kind of hiatus I had is that's when I really sat down and put a, a huge criteria in terms of what I was buying. And number one, it all starts out with the numbers. So if you don't have the numbers that make sense at the beginning, uh, throw it out the window because it's not, you're, you're, you're never going to purchase that place to make it work. So I'd say it has to work out by the numbers first. And what I mean by that is I only, I never purchase on appreciation. I only purchase on cash flow and mortgage pay down. And my general rule of thumb is that I'd like to make uh, at or six or seven percent, typically what the stock market return is going to be, just on cash flow and mortgage pay down. I know appreciation is going to happen. I know there's a high probability of it happening. I don't want to bank on it. And it's something I'm just very, I'm very risk averse that way. Um, but if I'm going to make that, then I know I'm going to make probably in traditional investments. Uh, the appreciation at that point is just gravy. So assuming that comes into play and I know I'm going to make money on that, that's making an assumption that I know the area I'm going to invest in and the, and the rental uh, income that I can bring in. Then it goes to the second step. And that's basically looking at all the intangibles beyond the, beyond the actual numbers of it. And that's going into what area is it in? What city is it in? Um, what is the likelihood of appreciation for it going forward? Uh, and then what is the, the big one is what does the tenant profile look like? How easy is it going to be for me to get tenants? What's the vacancy rate in that city or that area that I'm investing in? So all the intangibles that the numbers by themselves are not going to answer. So I think putting those two together is number one, first and foremost, has to work by the finances uh, and the numbers. Secondly, it's got to be poised for something. It's got to have something behind it that you know, I'm, I, I want to build wealth through through real estate and by making stock market returns in terms of mortgage appreciation pay down. Yeah, I'll do fine, but I'm going to probably build my wealth through appreciation. And so I'd like to target properties that are likely going to have appreciation. Not that I'm going to bet on them, but a high probability that they're going to have them. So I invest in cities that uh, for the most part are going to beat the market. You know, the average over the last half century has been about a 
appreciation rate per year blended over the course of a, of a half century. But in the target cities that I invest in, uh, I have four of them. I have Hamilton, Durham Region, Cambridge, and Barrie. And all of those are, are over-indexing versus that. You have 6.6, I think, uh, over the last five years in Barrie. And, you know, look at the last, uh, just, just the last little while in Durham. I think all of those are double digits. Pickering, Ajax would mm-hmm. be, um, Oshawa. So that's, uh, you know, you know, fantastic results. And that's still, you know, you look at, uh, uh real estate investment network, Rain, you know, they, target each of those cities to continue that momentum, at least for the, for the next several years. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the other things, like each of those has GoTrain. They make it highly accessible for the Toronto market to be there. And then for me, I look at population. You know, we likely couldn't be doing what we're doing without the immigration population coming into Canada. You know, we have 400,000 people coming to Canada. 100,000 of those come straight into Ontario, and they need a place to live. And, you know, affordable housing is very difficult to find in Ontario. So for them coming in, it's very, and you you always know that they're going to be pushed out. It's hard to find uh, affordable housing in Toronto. So as the years go on, that's why you see the boom uh, just outside and you make it really accessible, something like the GO train. All those cities by themselves have seen uh, uh, great growth rates over the last several years. And I I, I don't see that uh, that stopping for the the short term anyway. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I'm sure Rob does too. Uh, well, it's been crazy growth. It's just ridiculous. It's the people that aren't really um, sort of following along that aren't investors, like people outside of the investment circles, they don't understand that. They just, they want to run away because of that kind of stuff. It doesn't make sense. They're like, well, it's going to crash. Obviously it's going to crash. If you can't have 13% growth over the last year and, and expect anything but the market to go down. So it is kind of an interesting time that we're in and I've never been through a whole cycle. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to try and figure out what to do when, when the downturn does come. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, 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 it, and it will, it's inevitable that's going to come. And I think as investors, I, I actually embrace it. I don't think if you're an investor, it's actually not that much of a bad thing. Well, it's no, I don't think so either. Up. We just have to prepare, right? Know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and invest like smartly, like you said, not for appreciation, but for cash flow and and long term, long term wealth. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, Martin, when you're running your numbers there on the, those types of properties, are you using like a refinance strategy after, or are you just holding it after you do the renovations? I know oh, you like that's a, to, that's a great question. Is typically if I'm going to drive appreciation, and I usually get everything appraised right after I finish renovation. If I have enough in there to pull out and buy another property, that's exactly what I would do. So it's always going to be a refinance as much as I could. Uh, if I'm just touching it up, then sometimes you may have to wait a little bit uh, to get the appreciation. But the minute, typically my strategy is the minute I have enough that I can pull something out to invest in more, that's exactly what I do. I'd, I'd rather have my uh, my largest assets working for me rather than sitting. Awesome. Okay. So challenges when you started out, what, what were some of the big ones and how did you overcome them? Uh, I got a funny story on this one, actually. Uh, one of my, my first ones that I bought was a student rental. And uh, those investors know that uh, student rental, you can make quite a bit in terms of cash flow. On the other side, though, it comes with a bit of headaches. And uh, I have a student a student property. And I remember my, you know, it was, it was my, my, my first one after kind of my hiatus within, uh, within real estate investing. And we got our students in there. And within two weeks, I had a flood in the kitchen that I had to deal with. So basically, I didn't know if it was a leak or if it was what I heard actually was one of the students left water running and and there was a clog there and it just kind of went and it went through everything. So I had to get that repaired immediately. Within two weeks after that, and this is something I I wouldn't wish on anybody, is 
one of the kids in the house, uh, apparently I found out had anger management problems and just trashed my kitchen. So broken cupboards, everything all over the place. I had parents calling me, fearing for their, their, their daughter's lives. And, and, and it was, it was a bit of a mess. So, you know, at, at that point, no matter if you have property management or not, you're getting pulled in. And, uh, and I had to have to sit down with all the parents. And, and in the end, what I had to do is, uh, you know, seeing if they can live with this person. But in the end, I had to uh, end up paying this person out and, and getting them to find another place. Uh, I always handled it very professionally. You know, you always, I, I look at treating everyone uh, uh, the way they'd expect to be treated. And, and I helped that person find another place. But it just wasn't a good fit within that student rental. And, uh, you know, in the end, you're, you're always going to have a, a few pitfalls. And uh, one of the things I'd say out to new investors is that you're, you know, look at, you know, you, you touched upon my story and what I faced this year. And every investment that you have is going to have a pitfall. You know, a lot of investors, if they see exactly what I face with the flood, the, uh, the trash kitchen, and it's a pain. I'll be honest. Those things are pain. And that's why a lot of uh, – a good reason why a lot of investors don't continue. They don't want to deal with that, that 1 a.m. phone call to, uh, to have a plumbing problem. And that's why you have things like property management. But, uh, you know, you know, if I, if I did turn away, the, the main question I always ask myself is, is it worth it? You know, is it worth it to have one meeting with parents and, uh, sorting that out over the course of a weekend for a pretty good cash flow that's going to continue after everything is sorted out? So, you know, I, I've had that for quite a while now. We sorted it out at the beginning. It's fully rented out, and uh, you know that's just a distant memory right now. Now I'm enjoying enjoying the cash flow. So as it's going through, you're 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 not loving the situation because you're dealing with it. But afterwards, you really realize that hey, this was the right thing to do, and this is uh, this is why you're in uh, investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. How much fun would it be if everything just went well? <laughs> True, exactly. <laughs> you know, I had the very similar experiences with the student. Did you say you sold the student rental? No, no, I still have it. Oh, you still have it? You still run yeah. it as a student rental? Yes. Yep, I do. Yeah. If I did sell one, probably that would be the one. <laughs> uh, but but it is it is such a good cash flow. Uh, obviously, like if you compare st- student rentals versus single family, that's my highest cash flow in property. But, uh, you know, it's one that you're, you know, I look at my exit strategy, strategy too, and I'll probably have to sell that to investors because the appreciation is so high. That's likely not going to be a single family, so it'd be the first one I probably uh, I probably sell, and you know, with, with the headaches that I probably, I'm sure you probably experienced as well. Yeah, everyone that listens to the show has heard all about them before. <laughs> <laughs> so when when you know we're talking about some headaches you might have and 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 that problem tenants, uh, I just want to touch on some. You know, you work with a lot of joint venture partners now, and I know you're building that up a little more. And I'm sure they have questions. You know, what what happens if we get bad tenants? What if we can't find tenants? What if the market it doesn't appreciate at all? At all? What if it goes down? What if it goes backwards substantially? Um, what kind of things are you are you telling them? And how do you overcome those objections? I guess is what they are. How do they react? I I, I love this question because it just shows that like within society, there's such a small amount of people that really understand the power within real estate. And if you really look, and this is my opinion, I'm just a focus group of one, um, but if you look at the security within real estate investing and the returns you're going to get versus something traditional in terms of stocks and mutual funds and what people are used to, there's a, a high bit of security. And you, I, I feel very, very secure in all my investments in, within real estate. And as I said before, I actually welcome a crash. I welcome not a crash, but a downturn. You know, but even if there was a crash, it's just like the stock market, exactly the same. Your loss is on paper. It's not for the long term. Mm-hmm. So as mm-hmm. I talk to uh, to joint venture partners, it's I, I invest for uh, cash flow 
and mortgage pay down. None of those is going to be affected by a crash. If anything, those are actually going to be benefited if there's a crash. So the first thing I tell them is that if there's a crash, likely there's a lot more units that are not being sold. So that means the rental market is going to go up. So as you turn over tenants, your rent is actually going to appreciate. So you're going to actually benefit from that over the long term. And if you look at any of those cities that I talked about, Hamilton, Barrie, Cambridge, Kitchener, Toronto used to be like that. But Toronto has has appreciated so much that it's very difficult to find cash flowing property. So in the future, you're likely not going to uh, uh, to be able to rely on those cities for those, those kind of cash flows, and it's going to come to that point. But when you have a correction, you give you give the rental rates the ability to climb back up, and and they can actually at least move a little bit with appreciation. But right now, appreciation is is going at a much faster rate than uh, than the rental rates. So it's 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 hard. It's going to be harder to find cash flowing properties later on. So the second thing it does is it can benefit you on the rate, on the, on the cash flow. But uh, on the other side is as every investor knows, and if you face it in the stock market, there's a fire sale going on. So if you're, if you're a new investor just starting out, or I have, I have a JV partner that's just starting out and there's a crash, they know they're buying at a, at a low right now. So they're buying something on sale. And if you're an investor that's been in, in, in it for a while, you potentially still have some equity in your home. So that would be the great time to pull out and actually buy something because you know, you're going to buy something at a, at a discounted price. And as I was mentioning, you're in it for the long term. So you're, you're likely not going to preach, uh, uh, experience that in your day to day, uh, in your day to day life in terms of, uh, having a market crash. If you're in it for the long term, uh, it's going to rebound back and, and look at what we faced in 2009. That was a correction. It was probably a blip in the overall things. And if it does come down, it's going to be a blip, but it's eventually going to go back up. So, you know, my, my, my theory has always been I'm a buy and hold investor and I want to build long-term wealth, not, uh, not short-term wealth. And, uh, and if, if you're in it for the long term, uh, a, a correction can actually be a good thing for you. Yeah, it's really interesting because think about it this way. If, you're, if you've got a property and it's cash flowing at, let's say, $400 a month, does it really matter if someone tells you that that house is worth 300000 or then the next day – it's still cash flowing $400 a month, but now it's worth $200,000. doesn't make any difference. Exactly. People worry about that kind of stuff too, but if you're in it for the long term, there's a cycle. You just ride the wave, wait for it to come back up. Don't sell low. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And and I know sometimes I harp on between the, the, the stock market and real estate investing, but you know, look at, look at the last century. And if you just look on Google, look at the graphs. Um, the real estate cycles... There have been a lot less peaks and valleys if you compare it to the stock market. So if you if you look at it for the long term, you're not going to face that roller coaster ride that you face with the stocks. If you're in it for the long term with real estate, you may have one, you know, sometimes once a decade. You know, it's going to hurt for when you're there and you're going to look at the value of your home go down. But in the stocks, it's it's some, sometimes you're fearful. You have one day and it can just crash, and you, you likely don't experience that with real estate. You can likely see it coming and you can prepare for it. Mm-hmm. So what types of systems do you use in your business to be more effective? So as I said, I've only been doing this for two years. So my systems are still being refined. And that's something that I don't think will ever end. You know, I've worked for, for global organizations and they're always refining systems. And I, I think that's going to be a, a constant thing to try to change. And I'm fortunate for the background that I have because it's given me the discipline. And as I said before, in terms of how I purchase, it's criteria and the numbers and then asking yourself, you know, what are those intangibles you have to ask yourself? But within all of that, probably the biggest thing is your team. And every real estate investor would know that you're not going to do this by yourself. Uh, you're not one person on an island. And, you know, that team is, is I can't stress how important it is. 
you know, between your agents, your mortgage brokers, your lenders, your lawyers, your property managers, and all of those other people in between. Uh, contractors is another one. is is, is a fairly big one. Um, you you have to have a good team, and the first time you do it, there's going to be a huge learning curve within there. And I remember the first time I uh, I, I you know rented a property is you know you you treat it like a like you're running your own home. You don't really know what to do. But now when I run a property, I know exactly what type of kitchen is going to go in there. I know exactly what SKU number is going to go in there. When I get a quote from a contractor that comes into me, uh, I can tell you this is a picture. This is exactly what it's going to look like. Give me a quote for that rather than going in and, and kind of being ambiguous about it. Hey, I kind of want this here. I want to open up this wall here or or, or do something where they're, they're going to bump up or buffer their cost because they're, a lot of their time is going to be working with you to figure out what you want. But if you know exactly what you want, you know exactly the, the style, if you can actually go down to the SKU number at Home Depot and say, hey, here's exactly where to go, you're going to make it a lot more efficient for yourself. So in the end, um, you know, we've talked about real estate being exciting and you're going to have those challenges that you face. But in the end, boring is better for me. You know, I know exactly what kind of kitchen is going to go in there. I know exactly what renovations I want to do. And it should be like clockwork. So the, the, the long-term goal for me in terms of systems is you want to obsolete yourself. So as much that I can do in terms of creating something for me not to physically have to be there is what I'm going to try to do. And that's, uh, that's down, that's obviously down the road. It, right now it revolves around me. Um, so it's in terms of doing something online, if I ever, ever get my real estate license in terms of putting things, uh, putting offers out on deals, there's things like virtual assistants out there. And there's a lot that you can do basically just really understanding that what's the value of your time worth and what's the best return on investment going to be for your time versus what can you hire out and, 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 and get done. So, uh, I don't know if I answered your question too well, but it's something that's still in the process, but that's eventually the long-term goal. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, it is an ongoing process. There's no, no one can say to you, I figured it all out. It's, this is how you do it. It's always constantly revolving. You got to change things. You get a system and then something small changes in the market or whatever. You can't just, there's no definitive answer to that. Just make sure that when you renovate, you know what areas you're in, you know what level to renovate at. It's not your house. So you learn that you put what needs to be in there to get the rents that you need to get. And you know that every place that you do is going to get the same one. I don't think that's boring at all. To me, that sounds super exciting. It's exactly what I do. And I love it every time. So, <laughs> um, so that's great. Good. Thank you for that. No problem. Now we touched on this a bit too, but purchasing, like, has it become more difficult to purchase good cash flowing properties in the market that we're in? Yes, and and I think it's going to continue to do that. You know, we did touch upon it before, and I, and, I, and I mentioned those other markets. If appreciation continues to outpace rental rates, then yeah, it's going to be it's going to continue to get harder. And uh, you know, I touched upon those four properties I bought within two weeks. Each one of those was in a bidding war environment. And, uh, and it's tough, you know, it's, uh, if I'm going to bid versus somebody that this is going to become their own home and this is, and it's an emotional investor out there, I have no desire to bid, bid against them. First, I'm probably going to lose because that, that's going to be their own home and they're going to want to put the money in. And for me, this is a business. This is something that I'm going to be, uh, there's not a lot of emotion uh, involved for me. So if this is going to be something that someone's going to call home for the next 20 years, I would gladly give it to them. Let them enjoy it. Out of it, there's there's still other deals out there. So, I I, I have no desire to be in bidding wars, but uh, unfortunately, it's it's commonplace right now in many cities across Canada. And it comes down to to the criteria set out up front. 
is, you know, what do the numbers financially make sense? That's step number one. So anything that I'm going to put an offer in on, I run it through the system. Is it going to make sense financially? And then uh, typically I would put an offer on it. And I've actually put an offer on something sight unseen. I have a 10-day due diligence period. I typically always put in some kind of out clause in terms of an inspection. The inspection could sometimes help you out if you find something and you can, you can negotiate it. But uh, you always put that out. And during that time frame, then you ask yourself, what are those other things? What are those intangibles? What's the likelihood of appreciation? And the good thing is that I'm investing in markets that I know very, very thoroughly. So a lot of those questions I've answered before I even put a, uh, a an offer in. But, um, you know, to answer your questions, it's going to be very tough and it's going to continue to get tougher um, to get cash flowing properties. And we're experiencing it right now in, in a lot of those cities. And if there's a crash, it likely will be a, a little bit easier. But uh, again, it's going to get harder down the road. So it's, uh, you know, you look 20 years ago, people were talking about Toronto the same way we're talking about Hamilton now. So it's going to probably be somewhere else you have to invest in. But um, real estate's been around for, for generations and generations. So I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, it's just a matter that you may have to be flexible to uh, to adjust yourself to uh, where you're going to invest in. So, you know what? This is a pretty interesting topic. I think that we should all have a little conversation about this right here because the question is, how do you remain savvy as an investor in this bidding war environment that we're in? And I know like a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about um, over here. I've seen properties going in day zero, like six hours on MLS and I call up and they're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, <laughs> that's cause I just bought it. <laughs> right. Exactly. But that, but that being said, they're also selling for 20 or $30,000 over asking price. And yeah. so we, what, what's your strategy for like how, okay. So you look at it and the numbers work, do the numbers work at what they're asking? Do they work a little bit higher? Like what, what, how do you figure it all out? That's a good question. So I have to know my break even. I got to know what is my highest price I'm going to pay for it. And then it comes down to negotiation. You know, a lot of it is working with your agent. If you have a good agent, they're going to come back to you and tell you, here's how many people we have. Here's typically, you know, they're hopefully they're going to advise you and say, I think it's going to have to go up this much per per offer that's out there. But you need to know what your highest price is. And if you if it makes sense of that highest price, that's what it what it, what should be your, your ultimate final final uh, offer price for it. You're always going to strive to get something lower than that. Uh, uh, but it's sometimes it's tough. You know, you're not, you're, you're not going to know uh, all of the answers. You're not going to have all the information and you're going to base it with what information that you have. And you, it's probably going to go down to what, uh, what is that seller giving up in terms of information to your, to your agent? What is that agent going to be giving you? Uh, and then, uh, then you're going to make your decision, but sometimes it's going to fall somewhere between asking. And, and as you said, most of those go over asking. Um, so sometimes it's not just about the money and, and you said it exactly. Sometimes they're gone in six hours and I've had to become quite savvy on there as well in terms of financing. So I know that if I put an, an offer in that's over asking, but maybe lower than somebody else, if it's a cash offer, a high percentage of real estate deals fall through just because financing doesn't end up going. And any seller doesn't want to go through that process again if financing goes through. You put on the MLS again, and, and basically it shows that it's been on the market for a while, so there may be something wrong with the house. They don't want to go through that. So if I can put in something that may be a lower, but take out every condition that I can within there, then I'm going to do that and make it as easy for the seller it is to accept my offer. Good tips. Good tips, like yeah, for sure. You agree with that, Sandy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, what I find is always a challenge with you know either myself or, or clients or anybody buying right now 
is what number to put in. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at a property, you know, maybe there's four or five offers on it, or there's, there's multiples at least. It's just coming up with a number that's going to actually get you the property, but also make sense. I mean, a lot of times I, I'm having this conversation with clients where they don't want to put in their top number because they think, you know, you never know, you might get it for lower, which is, is great. And there's potential for that. It's just a challenge sometimes finding out what that, that number is, what the sweet spot is, because it's hard to know who you're competing against mm -hmm. um, in a lot of these. Uh, it's hard to know if you're competing against other investors or maybe depending on the property style, it's just normal home buyers who are looking at it from a very different point of view, right? They're not really worried about numbers as much. It's every, every situation is different, I find. And, you know, if you can make the numbers work, typically you kind of have, you just have to put in the best number where they still work, really. Yeah. If you're going up against an owner-occupant, that becomes really difficult because they don't care what they're paying, right? They don't care. No. That's if they the hard... want it, they're going to get it. And the other thing is you never know. Like Sometimes there's just situations where you put in a great offer and, and you, you're confident with it. It works. It's a, it's a good offer maybe for the seller too, but some someone comes in and just blows it out of the water and you just <laughs> – you can't do much about it. Like we we sold the place uh, a week or so ago now, lower lower price point for what it was, and, and this is Hamilton downtown. Uh, we we listed it for one hundred ninety nine thousand, thinking it, we're listing it a bit low, you know, drop some action on it. I was kind of thinking, you know, two thirty two forty range would make sense. The place needed a lot of work, you know. At the end of the day, the the offer that came in on it was uh was was just under three hundred thousand. And, wow. um, so we're talking almost a hundred grand over asking really everyone I, I've talked to about it, you know, pretty shocking on the, on the price. So you never know. You just never know what, what someone else is going to do. And sometimes you miss out on those opportunities because of that. But as long as you're looking at it as, as a business, then, you know, there's no emotion there and you, you chalk it up and move on and you just have to find some, you know, sometimes you just have to find a lot of opportunities because you'll miss yeah. out on a couple, you'll win a That's couple. True, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I didn't win all those bidding wars. I, there was a lot that that went through before the ones that you get. So yeah, it's it's uh, like any business, you're gonna win some and lose some. But in the end, you have to hopefully gonna win them all because you you've done your due diligence in numbers. So you know, a couple things that, too is like it's pretty frustrating when. Well, I mean, I can understand why you wouldn't get a call back with a with a almost a hundred thousand dollars over asking price offer. But a, a lot of times we've been pretty close. They never come back to you yeah. and say, hey. Do you want to sweeten it up a little bit? So if you don't come in with your best offer, sometimes you're losing it because of that. Because I've, there's been three or four situations where there's not even a discussion. It's just they pick the best offer because they don't want any games. There's, they're not playing games. Neither are we, but you know what I mean. They want to get it done. And just whatever the best offer is on the table, if there's four or five of them, then the, the best one wins. So what gets difficult too is um, just keeping your emotions in check through that process. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're, and I'm talking about the buyers here now, is you know you miss out on one, you miss out on another. You're confident in what you're offering, but you're just not getting them. Um, the numbers have to work, right? So you can't get emotional and get impatient. You know, as long as the numbers work, it's great. But if you're if you're not getting properties, you just can't go crazy, right? You have to keep the emotions in line and just treat it as a business. Mm -hmm. So that is how you stay savvy in a bidding war. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, what's your, you kind of touched on it, but do you think now is a good time then to be buying real estate or should people be waiting for um, more of a, a different market where they can get some better deals? 
<laughs> it goes back to the old saying, I guess, is when was the best time to buy real estate? And you probably say in the 70s and when's the next best time right now? And I, I'd say it's if, if you're in it for the long term, the best time is now. And if you have the infrastructure, and you know, you want to you have the means that you can do it. And I'd say I'd say purchase now, because otherwise it's like throwing darts against the wall. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're betting on appreciation and you're hoping for it to come down, you're you're betting on a hope rather than knowing the numbers. If you know the numbers work. Uh, and every other question in terms of everything pointing in the right direction in terms of the intangibles, then you, you're, you're, you're going to be fine if you, if, if you go through all those steps. Um, so I'd say, yeah, continue now if you can, because, uh, there's going to come a time when each of those cities are going to be, it's going to be hard pressed to find those cash flowing deals. You know, I've seen it. I've seen cash flowing properties, you know, go from three, four, 500. And now you have a lot of investors saying, Hey, $200 cash flow is great every year. So it, mm-hmm. it is coming down. Yeah. yeah, and let's face it, a couple like I'm already doing that for places that I looked at a couple of years ago thinking they were too expensive. I'm like, what? Three hundred thousand dollars last year, and now the place worth four. You know? <laughs> so it's it, the best time is now because next year it could be four fifty. Mm-hmm. Very true. So what is the best way for someone to get going and get started then? Uh Martin, what what's the best investment type do you think? Or where should they be looking? What should they be doing? I'd say what, what I was is basically at the beginning, it was like a sponge. So like at the beginning, there was this great resource. It was called the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. I went to the gym during the during my lunches. I listened to it uh, as I was on the treadmill and it was it was great in terms of uh, a startup. So I, I get out and I get I, I same thing I was talked about Durham REI is you get someone uh, like myself coming on and just sharing their experiences and you can really relate to it in terms of uh, what you faced or what you're facing or what you're going to face. And I'd say, you know, things like your podcast, going online, there's tons of forums out there. And we live in an age now that if you have a question, you can likely find an answer to it online. One of the biggest surprises I'd say for me coming into real estate, and I, I come from a corporate environment where, you know, it's, sometimes it's cutthroat. You're trying to uh, uh, to beat someone else to the punch. And the great thing I've learned about other investors is it's such an open atmosphere. Like if someone is going to be to be doing something, they face something. They're going to go out of their way to help you out and say, hey, look, I faced that last year. This is exactly what I did. And you're going to you help each other out. You know, the the stats are, I think it's it's less than 10 percent of Canadians own investment property. So for me, I have all the time of the day. If someone else tells me they invest in in real estate, I'm like, hey, great. Let, let, let's chat. And I, I'd love to have a chat with them. And uh, and I, I really felt that where I, I, I thought it'd be a little bit more competitive. I, I was I was so wrong and so pleasantly wrong. And going out to these meetups and talking to, you know, guys like yourselves and just sit down. You want to have a chat and, you know, hopefully down the road. I know I've talked to both of you in, in terms of there may be opportunities for all of us to work together as well. It reminds me of the place I just bought. We uh, reason we heard about it was because uh, a guy, other investor here in the city, I know, was seeing some action happening over at the house that he hadn't seen in a while. And he he owns the place right across the street. He was doing some renos there and he, he called us up. and He said, hey. This place is coming up, you know. We, you know, someone. Do you want to buy it yourself? And then we got the whole history on it from him. Like, sat down for ten minutes with him, and he went over everything that's been going on with that place. That's just through, you know, relationships and that. So, you know, everyone's out there. Pretty much everyone willing to help, right? It's it's a great community. I I agree. I, I've I've I, that was just such a a pleasant surprise to see that. And th- those are some of the the things that you could do on the side, like go to the gym, listen to podcasts, go online, but. I'd also recommend to anybody starting out is get a mentor, get a coach, go on to a mastermind group and give yourself the kick in the butt that you usually need. Because I think I know I needed it. You know, I, I sat on a lot of uh, things for many, many years, knowing real estate was a great investment, not really doing anything about it. 
But the minute you have someone making you accountable to do something, you get things done. And yes. they're asking you every two weeks is, are you, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And even if you haven't done it or you, or, or you don't like getting the question, you're going to be doing something about it. And so I think putting a little bit of those disciplines in place, and I say being a sponge and learning as much as you can on the side, but also put something in place that's tangible and something that you can actually rely on that's, uh, that has a system to it, like a call every two weeks with a mentor or, or, or with a coach or joining that mastermind, that you have something that's going to keep you on track. Yeah, make sure that they're going to hold you accountable because that is one of the biggest things is it really lights a fire under your butt to get the things done that you're supposed to have done. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, is really important to me is doing what I say. And I'm sure it is for you guys too. So when you're in that kind of environment and people and you've actually said, okay, this is what I'm going to do, then not having it done when you're called on is pretty rough. So mm-hmm. I like that accountability as well that that uh, mentorship or a coaching program brings. Couldn't agree more. I guess you know we've got to talk about a lot of great stuff here, Martin. Obviously, you're um you're uh, doing awesome here. And where do you see the business going now? What's your next steps, and what's the future hold? Uh, I think for for where I'm now is I I, I just started my uh, my uh, I wouldn't say the website is the the be all end all the business, but I'd say putting the website together, putting the infrastructure in place with joint venture partners and going down that route is I have an infrastructure for single family. So I think right now, continuing down that road, the next logical step is as I'm increasing those properties, do as much as I can internally. And we talk about services. So as you get to a certain number in terms of, uh, of homes, I'd probably bring property management in house. There's a way potentially if I'm going to get my own real estate license that I can bring some of the buying and selling in house as well. Uh, but if not, uh, you have each of these services uh, as well for you. So I think the next logical step is to continue that in, down that infrastructure and fine tune that single family home as much as I can or that that model in terms of I hold building wealth for myself and, and, and my partners as well. Eventually, as with any investor, I think you, you always look to is there a way for me to expand? And I wouldn't want to expand too quickly and go out into other things that are an unknown. But there's two things that pique my fancy, and one of them is getting to, into higher multifamilies, so, so potential apartment buildings, and the other one is development. And I think for each one of those, it's you know the the, the process is exactly the same. Is previous guests of yours is uh, I've called them up and uh, I said, look, I want to get into something like this. I might put put an offer down. Uh, I may give them just a piece of the equity just so I can uh, I can learn. And you know I treat that as an investment. So them giving them a portion of the equity. It's not me giving away something. It's me investing in my education, basically. And, and, uh, and we charge a referral fee for anyone you've met through the show as well. Yeah, yeah it's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so just, yeah, working working with them. And uh, so development and multifamily are probably the two next logical steps for me. And the, the great thing is I look at my background and having a corporate background is I – what you learn as well is working with joint venture partners, it's, it's not – it typically doesn't get hard to find the the financing and the money because real estate and the investments do speaks for itself. So I think as time goes on, it's going to be us as real estate investors to be able to find that deal that works for the uh, the investment partner. Do you ever find uh, people looking at deals and like almost thinking it's too good to be true? Oh Part yeah, many, many, many times there. Uh, and and most of them are I, I I kind of thought real estate was great and then they they see the numbers and they even see the numbers in a typical joint venture you have fifty fifty and they see the numbers even when you split it and most of them are are quite surprised by it and and you know if they look at it straight like a stock market everything's hands off to them 
you know, they sign a few documents and, uh, and they're a hands-off investor basically just looking at, at, uh, whatever reports that you give them in terms of what, uh, what their asset is doing for them. And, uh, yeah, most of them are quite surprised. I, I love sitting in a meeting and you kind of have that aha moment and they, and they kind of, uh, they go back to you. Wow. I didn't really realize that sometimes they don't know and they haven't really done, done the due diligence or, or looked into it as much as like me. I, I sat in it for many, many years, not really understanding really how powerful it could be. And then once you really understand that power and you try to educate somebody else on it and they have that moment, oh, it's great just seeing it. And then they're like, then it doesn't, it doesn't come very hard. And, and, you know, most real estate investors that work with partners, you find that you probably have a small pool of partners that, that you can rely on because most of them, when they work with you, the minute you have, can refinance or they want to invest uh, or, or they want to do something else, they're calling you to, uh, to invest more rather than taking their investment back. Yeah, exactly. That's why the refinance, uh, refinance model or renovates creating some value there is, is so good because you can pull out the money and reuse it. Um, in a lot of cases. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what resources can you recommend? What have you been using and what can you recommend? Uh, I'd say I probably touched on each of these during the, uh, during the podcast. Well, one is, is just things like yours, like, like the podcast. Like that was one that I think I found, uh, I found your podcast just, uh, just browsing podcasts and I wasn't really a podcast listener. And then, uh, it just became a mainstay for me driving or, uh, or going to the gym. It was something that I just listened to. So I think it's great. Uh, uh, from that point of view, the internet is great. You know, you have things like the U.S. There's bigger pockets out there. There's meetings and meetups and 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 getting out there as much as you can. Uh, and then in terms of online resources, if you join a club, typically they're going to have some tools available for you in terms of deal analyzers or something on Excel or something that you can build. Or if you join like the Real Estate Investment Network, which is Rain, uh, there's a lot of tools out there available. So don't think that you uh, that you kind of have to build everything from scratch. And I'm a numbers guy. I I did a lot on Excel myself, but None of those started on the top of my head. A lot of those started with tools that were provided to me that I've refined over time. So I think uh, go out there and get those tools and uh, and join those meetups. And, and if you talk to one person, they're going to point you in another another direction that's going to give you another handy tool that you can use. So, you know, as I said before, it's uh, it's something that's going to continue to evolve. And when you start out, is just just be a sponge. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of resources available for you. I just touched on a few of them. Yeah, all good tips. Thank you for those. How can people get in touch with you? For me, uh, I think, as you mentioned, you can get in touch with me from my, from my website, www.mkproperties.ca. Uh, or if anybody that's going to be investing or starting a business or, uh, or on their own, uh, you know, get a URL for your name. So you can even, even Google my name, martinkuweb.com or martinkuweb.ca. You'll get to my invest, uh, my, my website or my, uh, my email, martin at mkproperties.ca. And, uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, on Facebook and, now, how I treat my business, I'm, uh, I like to be as transparent as possible. So, uh, um, you know, look me up, get in touch with me. I'm happy to chat with, uh, with anybody. I, I have a couple of different sides of my business. So you know, the first one is I work with those that are in, likely in the stock market or, or, or within mutual funds that are, are not really happy with, with the single digit you know, returns that they're getting. So I typically sit with someone who potentially has equity in their home knows they want to utilize it, maybe doesn't know how they want to utilize it, or potentially could have other other finances on the side that they want to invest in, but you know, they they've just been uh haven't had great experiences with, with other traditional investments out there. Nine times out of ten, they know real estate is a good investment. So it doesn't take a lot of uh, a, a lot of inclining from my part to say hey real estate is good. So it comes down to me talking with them and what I can bring to the table in terms of fit, us working together. Uh, then having trust in terms of what I do, the systems I, I put in place and the typical returns that I can give them. So it's typically someone like that is, uh, 
has, doesn't have the time to go through this themselves, likely has some equity in their home, or a lot of people don't even know that they have enough money to, uh, to invest in real estate. You know, we, we have one, one thing, I think it's a blog I'm writing on my website is we've been trained to, uh, from by society to, to not be good real estate investors. Like we are trained to pay off our mortgages as quick as possible and sit on it. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's hard. It's like talking about religion or politics at the dinner table. If you, if you talk about someone's own home, it's kind of that intangible. Don't talk about it. And, you know, the flip side of it is interest rates are at the, at the historical low. So the minute you have that aha moment and someone who, you know, knows understands real estate and knows how secure it can be, then they look at something like that and they go, wow, I can get 2% out. If there's anything that I can get above 2%, then fantastic. Let's do it. Uh, so that's more on the single family. And as, you're into flips as well, Sandy. Sometimes for a short term, if you find the right deal, flips do work. You know, for those of us that have a, a few rental properties under our belts, you know, we all know conventional financing is sometimes hard. So I also deal with with lenders. If someone wants to use their RSPs or use their TFSAs, uh, there's ways are, that you can invest within real estate as well. So I can work with them to uh, just become a private lender. So they they may not know how much real estate is, or they're not willing to take the risk. Uh, what you can do is I can say, no problem. You, you, you can actually just be a lender and I'll pay you a fixed fee interest rate. Uh, that's typically going to be higher than they're going to get from any bank out there. Uh, and much, much more than, than what they're going to be paying on, uh, in terms of the, uh, the, the mortgage that they're going to be taking out against. And so typically what I look for is, is win-win situations, being it from a lending situation, from an equity partner situation, or, uh, or even someone that I'm not looking to, to be a coach or anything like that. But as I said, I got all the time in the world for anybody that's looking to start out and I have had a few people just approach me and um, you know if you want to sit down and get and, and get into real estate you know, I'm willing to share my knowledge as, as much as possible very cool thanks again and Martin you know this has been a great interview I'm glad we were able to meet up and, and line this up today and uh, I hope to keep in touch with you after this I really appreciate it thanks a lot Absolutely, me too. I know we've. Uh, I, I think I've talked to both of you offline from the uh, from the podcast, and I look forward to uh, to meeting you guys at events. And uh, who knows, down the road, potentially we'll work together. And again, awesome. yeah. if you missed it, uh, you can just go to the show notes, and uh, you can find all of Martin's contact information there. Thanks again. Have a great night. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks.